First John is one of the last five books in the Bible. We're in chapter 4, and I'm going to begin reading at verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Lord Jesus, we do adore you. You are our everything. We thank you for your holy and precious word. May it be a treasure to our heart. May it be a lamp unto our feet, a guide to every aspect and detail of our lives. Bless our pastor. Give him Holy Spirit power to preach your word with truth, with joy. May that be so now in Jesus' name. Amen. I love you. I really do love you, but what does that phrase really mean if you hear it? Or you hear all religions teach that you should love one another, and so all religions are the same. Or you hear, as long as you love one another, what else matters? I don't know if you've heard those things. I'm sure you have. I know I have many times. What does love mean? And are they using love in the same way that you're using it? Are they using it, for example, in the way that the Bible uses it or defines it? Words can be confusing because they can mean different things to different people. I remember a short while ago, I was allowed by a kind pastor to use his house in England. And he wanted to give me instructions on how to get in. So he texted me the instructions. He says, go into the entryway and you'll find the key in the welly. The welly. So I went in. I figured, how many places can there be in an entryway? And I looked everywhere, everywhere. You know where it finally was? It was in the toe of a boot. What we very sensibly call a rain boot, they call a welly. Now, of course, they couldn't call it a boot because for them, a boot is the trunk of a car. So it's all confusing. You know, it's the same word with very many different meanings. So it's hard to communicate. It's hard to even know what people mean. And the same thing is true with the word love. And I'd like to spend a few weeks talking about love, particularly what Jesus taught us about love. But today, I'd like to begin by focusing on at least beginning our focus on this little phrase from our text, love is from God. So here's the plan. God changes our view of love. God redefines love. And secondly, I'd like to look at how God, therefore, changes our view of the world. And thirdly, how God, therefore, changes our view of how to live life. So, Let's look at our text, 1 John chapter 4, beginning at verse 7. So what is love? Our text defines love in terms of God. Love is from God. Or the same expression is sometimes translated, love is of God. If you want to know what that expression means, in 1 John chapter 4 earlier, it's used in two other ways. For example, in verse 2, it says that the spirit of truth is from God. 
because God is true. So if you want to examine which spirit is true, look at what God is. And then in verse 4, it says, we are from God, meaning we're children of God. We are born of God. We have life from God. So what this expression from means here is that God is the source of this thing. It means that God produces this thing even better that it can only come from God. God alone can give us truth about spiritual reality. God alone can give us spiritual life, as John chapter 1, verse 12 says. And John 1, 12 says, This life didn't come by the will of a person, but it came by the will of God. It comes from God. And so now in verse 7, we have the same expression used again. It says, Love is from God. For love is from God. It means that the source of all love is God. All love comes from God. A better way to put it, God defines true love. And so it's no surprise that when we come to the Gospels, we find that God incarnate, God in person, the Lord Jesus Christ, says, love one another just as I have loved you. It's in John chapter 15, verse 12. Love one another just as I have loved you. He's saying, I am the definition of love. To use a bad old joke, it's as though Jesus is saying, if you went to a good dictionary, one approved by God, and looked up the word love, you'd find a picture of Jesus. Love one another just as, in the same way that I love you because I define love. Now, some of you know that in the Greek of the New Testament era, there was various words, four particularly, used to express love. Here, the word used is agape. It's really the most common word for love used in the New Testament. In a way, it's the general word for love. It is the word that expresses willfully loving, choosing to put your affections on something. So here, it is used to express the love of God. But it's not only that. In the same epistle, chapter 2, verse 15, it's used to express the sinful love for the world. So it's a very general word for love. It involves a choice, but here it says, true love from God is him choosing to love us, putting his affections on us. You know the other words? Philia is friendship love. Eros is romantic love. The concept is certainly in the Bible, but that word is not used anywhere in the Bible. And then storge, a word used rarely in the Bible, is familial love. It's, you know, brothers and sisters, parents and children. But this love, this agape, this God-honoring love is at the heart of every other expression of love. So husbands, for example, love with this kind of love. I want to illustrate my point by saying that even though there are many expressions of love in them, behind them, giving substance to them, is agape. And so if you look at Ephesians chapter 5, where there's a command, husbands love your wives. Certainly husbands have romantic love for their wives, and yet the word used in that command is agape. Because that's what gives substance, endurance, strength, to their love. So love expresses itself in varying ways. You know, there's loyalty among 
friendships. There's the tender love of a mother for her child. There's the married love between a husband and a wife. There's the affection within a family. It takes different shapes in different relationships, but giving it strength and shape is always this love of God. Here's a, I would call it a poor analogy. It's like a skeleton which gives shape to a body. Now, what would happen to you if you had no skeleton? You'd be like a blob on the floor, wouldn't you? Shapeless. You might still feel, your nerve endings might still work. You might still have desires. I don't know, maybe your stomach would still growl for food. You might still have thoughts. But you can't move, you can't do anything. You don't have strength, you don't have endurance. You need the shape which your skeleton gives you. And in the same way, God's love is like a skeleton. This agape love fills every expression of love. It gives it the shape that God intended that expression of love to have. So it makes romantic love strong and enduring and fulfill the purposes of God. It makes friendship fulfill the purposes of God. It makes familial love fulfill the purposes of God. So that's the first thing. God himself defines love because love is from God. And here's the second thing. This changes how we view the world. Verse 8 has this verse, this statement that we all know. And it is a remarkable statement. It closes in verse 8 with this, For God is love. God is love. That changes how we view the world. It, it changes how we view God. It changes how we view other people. It changes how we view ourselves. God is love. If God is love, think about it, it means love is eternal. Because God is eternal. God is love means God always was love because God's nature does not change. But who did he love in eternity past? I mean, for God to be love, he had to have an object of love. You can't be love unless you have someone to love. So who did he love? Augustine, the great philosopher and thinker in the church, 400 years after Christ was mulling this over and he thought about his own love. He says, now let me think. When I have a relationship of love, he says, I love, so that's one person involved. I love someone, so there's my beloved, and then there's love between us. So he says, see, there's three involved in any relationship of love, and he took it as a picture of the Trinity. He says, to say God is love immediately points us to a triune God, not a God who is a single, simple unity anymore. And I think this is what Scripture says, Father, Son, and Spirit. It's a mystery. In many ways, meaning we don't understand everything about it, but there is a social relationship which is eternal. The triune God existed in a relationship of love from all eternity past. In fact, here's how Jesus put it. There's a prayer of Jesus in John chapter 17, sometimes called the high priestly prayer. And here's just a snippet. Verse 24 says, Father, you loved me before the foundation of the world. See what he's saying? I was in a relationship of love with you, Father, Son, and Spirit, before anything was ever created, eternally. So God is eternally love. So don't run from him. I think it changes our view. of. I think a lot of people view God as something to be feared, someone who's going to 
remove fun, pleasure, delight, happiness from our lives, but don't run from God. Instead, run to Him. God, out of love, is out to do you good. And He's out to do you good eternally. The eternal love of the Trinity is being poured out upon us in Christ Jesus. Do you get that? The love that existed for all eternity, we can't even imagine what that is, is now being overflowing and being poured out upon us. Here's how Jesus put it. John chapter 15, verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so here's that eternal love, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. See, as the Father, the the love that I've experienced from all eternity, now I'm pouring it out on you. Abide in my love. Enjoy my love. Live in my love. So it changes our view of God, first of all, this definition of love. Secondly, it changes our view of other people. And I'm thinking, first of all, of people outside the church. You know, people who may not agree with us on every issue, on every policy. They may not agree with us on our philosophy, on our theology. But all people, no matter who they are, are made for love. Everyone is made for love. Why do I say that? Well, because we're all made in the image of God. Whether you're a Christian, whether you're an atheist or an agnostic, or whether you belong to some other religion or no religion at all, the Bible says we're all made in the image of God who is love. That means that our hearts are made for love. Our hearts long to give love. Our hearts long to receive true love. In fact, we're incomplete without loving relationship. We're like Adam in Genesis chapter 2. The first time God said, it is not good. Remember, it was Adam all alone and God said, it is not good for Adam to be alone because he's made for companionship. He's made for a relationship of love. And so life for everyone feels rich and meaningful when they receive love. And life for everyone feels meaningful when we give love because we're made for love. But what do we mean by love? I'm using this word, but people who are far from God would use the word in a very different way than those who are reading that word in the Bible. What does love mean? The definition of love, the Bible says, the definition of love in the world is bent just like everything else is bent out of shape. So it can be confusing. Somebody comes to me and says, as long as they love each other, what do you care? And I think, yeah, what do I care? I mean, I like companionship and so do they. I want someone in my life and so do they. I think having love is a good thing. And then I have to step back and think, but wait a minute, what do they mean by love? And what do I mean by love? We're talking about two different things. It's all wellies and boots and trunks again. We're not talking about the same thing. If we say all that matters is love, isolated from God, if we pretend we can use the word love with no reference to God, if we say, well, love defines a family. If we say right and wrong is just defined by as long as you love someone. If we say that all religions are the same, as long as they lead you to love others, and we have no reference to God, then we're talking about a different thing than love from God. We're not referring to the same concept. But true love expresses all that God is. You see, 
as God is love, that's part of his nature, so all of God's nature is expressed in everything he does. God is just and holy and sovereign. God is beautiful and wise. God is a great creator. So true love is defined by who God is. It is shaped by everything that God is. It expresses his will. It expresses his holy purposes. It fulfills his beautiful purposes for us as as friends, as sexual beings, as family members, as parents, and as neighbors. So I don't argue anymore about whether or not people need companionship. I think they really do. We're made that way. God's created us to have relationships, not just with one, but with many, but in varying expressions of love to experience love. We're made for intimacy. I don't have any right to deny that. So what I do is I point friends to that skeleton which is needed. I can use that poor analogy again. Yes, I know you have some notion of love because like me, you're also made in the image of God. But what gives life and depth and glory to love, to all love, is the kind of love you can experience in God who showered his triune love on us in Christ Jesus. So we have to invite people to come and taste that love which will give life to all their love. It changes how we view people. Changes how we view God, changes how we view people. Friends, it changes how we view our own lives. God is love. The one who rules heaven and earth is love. The one who rules every part of your life is love. The one who rules every breath you take. The one who produced all these beautiful trees during this fall season is love. The one who allows every circumstance to come into your life is love. Everything that happens is an expression of God's love for you. The universe is filled with God's love because God is love. Another way to put it is this. The universe is personal. I think there's a lot of people who don't really think that. They think the universe is just, you know, the matter and energy. It's things that just happen randomly. It's chance and chaos. But God, the eternal creator, is love. So that means before matter, before energy, before space and time, before the molecules of which you are created, before planets and stars, the triune God existed in a relationship of love. That was before everything else. So love gave rise to everything that exists around you, not the other way around. Don't think that what you feel is just somehow mud and dirt evolving into feelings of love. Don't think it's just neurons firing chemically in your brain. No, love was before any of those things ever existed. Love created all those things for us. In Genesis 1, God created a beautiful world because he loved us. And he created this beautiful world for us. Out of love, he suffered and died to redeem us. And because of love, he will one day glorify us and all of creation. And so that means his plans, think about this, his plans for your life just brim with love. It means that even when you face sorrow and suffering, I know one day this will become clearer than it is now, but even when you face suffering and sorrow, God's loving purposes are being accomplished in your life because God is love. 
You know, there's some things that are impossible for God to do. The Bible says so. It says it's impossible for God to lie because God is truth. You know, it's impossible for God to sin because God is holy. So, if I can put it this way, God can't help but love you in all that he does because his nature is to love you. He has to love you. He has to express his love for you because he is love. And that makes us see everything differently. Everything. God's kindness and gentleness just surrounds us. Friends, everything you see, everything that's happening around you is an expression of the love of God. It's, it's more intimate, it's closer to you, it's more real to you than every breath of oxygen that you take. You're surrounded by the kindness of this God who eternally is love. So it changes how we view everything. God is love. And then thirdly, it changes how we live. And that's what verses 10 and 11 speak about. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So, of course, what Jesus said also in a couple places in the Gospels, you know, what should I do to please God? What does God demand of me? And remember what Jesus said, there's a great command, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. There's two commands and they're tethered together. The first leads the second, but at the heart of each is what? It's love. It's love. Why is that? Why does God, first of all, demand that we love him? Why does he demand love? I mean, he could just demand obedience. A tyrant would be perfectly happy with subjects that did every single thing that the tyrant wanted them to do. A perfectly compliant nation. But God doesn't want just compliance, that sort of cold, fearful obedience of a slave who wants to avoid the lash from a whip. No, what God wants is obedience flowing from love. Here's how Jesus put it in John chapter 14, verse 15. He said, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. So obedience flows out of love. It's not something that replaces love. Well, why not work? A lot of people think God just demands that you do good things for him, that you work for him all the time. Why doesn't God want us to just build his kingdom the way Pharaoh demanded that the Israelites build his cities? You know, I read that pretty soon, very shortly, Amazon is going to be employing one million people. Can you imagine that? A company with one million people? Boy, they can do anything they want. It's a little scary for me. Imagine the power that that CEO and the owners of that company have. Why doesn't God just say, I'm going to employ you all. I'm going to make you all work for me. But no, God doesn't want that. God wants us to work for his kingdom, but out of love, not to earn our keep. It's like a child, you know, making breakfast for his mother. You know, the eggs are running, the toast is burnt, the juice is spilled on the tray, but mom loves it because it's an expression of love. God wants us to labor for him out of love. Why not just servile, oily words of praise? Do you ever do that to your boss? Praise your boss because you want to get ahead? 
Is that what our worship is? Just praising God because, you know, He'll be happy with me and I'll get that raise or He'll be happy with me and I'll be healthy. Why not? I was reading Alexander Solzhenitsyn's book, Gulag Archipelago, and he just mentions this incident at a conference to honor Joseph Stalin. This is around in the 1930s. Joseph Stalin, a dictator who ruled over Russia. There was a little conference. He wasn't there. Stalin wasn't there, but they were holding this as a tribute. And it says, and this is a summary of what Solzhenitsyn writes, the small hall echoed with stormy applause. Everyone stood up to applaud. It continued for three minutes, four minutes, five minutes, eight minutes, nine minutes of furious clapping with hands raised, arms now aching, ten minutes, how long can they keep this up? But who would dare to stop and show that their love for Stalin was less than that of others. Then after 11 minutes, the director of the paper factory sat down on his seat. And seeing him immediately, like a miracle, so did everyone else. That same night, the factory director was arrested and given 10 years in prison. His interrogator said, don't ever be the first to stop applauding. I think Stalin would be happy with that kind of love, in quotes. That's not what God wants. Does God want worship? He certainly does. Does he want praise? He does want praise. But not this endless applause from aching arms and empty words because of fear, trying to impress him. What God wants is the overflow of amazement, entranced with the beauty of God. What God wants our worship to be is that sense of wow when we see his prowess and his wisdom and creation, how he did everything. He wants that sense of wow when we see his grandeur and his majesty and his glory. That's worship. So God wants true love from us. He's given us true love and he wants us to reflect back that true love to us. Verse 10 in our text, just to read it again, and this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And then verse 19 just cements that. Here's what it says. We love because he first loved us. Our love for God is reflecting back to him that true love which originated from him, which falls on us out of the overflow of the Trinity which existed in a loving relationship for eternity. And we reflect it back to him and praise and worship and work for his kingdom. And so on the heels of that comes the second commandment. Love God, but then we have to love one another. God just delights in having us love others. And here it begins in the church. Verse 7 says, Beloved, let us love one another. And then it goes on to talk about loving our brothers. It refers to brothers and sisters in the church. Certainly begins in the church. But then it overflows to everything else because we are to love as he has loved us. And again, if I can skip ahead a little bit, look how verse 21 puts it, how it tethers those two together. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. So if we love God, that's the first thing. We can't love others properly in a healthy way with true love unless we first love God. So if we first love God, our priority is to make him happy, if I can put it that way, to please him. We love you, Lord. 
My, my joy, my delight is to make you happy. And then, only then, do we know how we love others. Then we know how we can make their lives flourish and be happy, fulfilling God's purposes for them. When we forget the love of God, when we talk about love without reference to God, then all our relationships become shapeless in a way. Our romance is shapeless. Our marriages don't have that strength and endurance that they need. Our parenting, all of them lose their rudder because they're no longer aiming things in the direction of God's will. So if a mom or a dad says, you know, I just love my kids, but they're not parenting with an eye to God's will for their children, then it's not true love. It's not God's kind of love anymore. To speak of love without reference to God is like talking about sunshine without reference to the sun. That's what the Bible is saying. Love is from God. I love you. Let me just summarize where we are then. There's a lot more to say about love, and I hope to flesh it out in the next few weeks. But we say these words so casually. We hear them so casually. They're everywhere. I love you. This is love. That is love. But unless love points us to God, it's counterfeit. Unless it arises from God, has a reference in God, it's counterfeit. Love is from God, our text says, and the true God has revealed himself in Christ Jesus. So love is defined by the Lord Jesus Christ. Love others as I have loved you, says Jesus. And that transforms our view of love. God is holy. God is sovereign. God is just. God is righteous. God is faithful. And God is love, our text says. That means everything God does in this world is infused with his love. It's an expression of his love. Whether he's exercising his justice, it's an expression of his love. Just as when he shows love, it's an expression of his holiness and his righteousness. He can't help but be God, if I can put it this way. This is a part of his nature. All that he is is expressed in everything that he does. And so that changes our lives. We begin to realize God loves me. He's drawn to me by his own nature to love me. And so that changes how we live. And so our text says his children love him and they love others. Why? Because we're his children. Just as children have the nature of their parents, so we have the nature spiritually of our Father in heaven. So we love because he loved us and he is love. As I have loved you, Jesus said, so you should love one another. So our lives are transformed by this love. We're adopted into his family, our text says. We become his children. And then our view of life changes. Everything around us is transformed. Our view of other people changes, just as our view of God has changed. Our view of ourselves changes. When we walk through life, we see that we're surrounded by this God of love wherever we go. We can't help it. It's like the hymn writer said. This is my father's world. He shines in all that's fair. In the rustling grass, I hear him pass. He speaks to me everywhere. This is my father's world. Why should my heart be sad? The Lord is king. Let the heavens ring. God reigns. Let my heart be glad. God loves you. God loves you. And that means something. Amen. Lord, we thank you and praise you for this expression, this 
reminder of truths that we've heard many times, that you are love. We pray, Lord, that it'll help us to live wisely in this world. We pray, Lord, that it'll cause us to walk with confidence in this world, knowing that, oh God, the presence of divine love is always surrounding us. We pray, Lord, that it'll produce in us grateful worship, that we'll see expressions of this love in your beauty all around us and in expressions of your grace all through life. This we pray through Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen. I mentioned this prayer of Jesus in John chapter 17, and he specifically prays for you there. Look it up. He actually prays for you. And he prays that we would know that the Father loves us even as he loved Jesus. Imagine that. That this love that existed for all eternity would now be experienced by us. So that's my benediction. May your eyes be opened to see the love of God every moment of your life. And may the love of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit cause you to live and to love in a transformed way. Amen.